The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. I would love for you to open your Bibles uh, this morning to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be for most of our uh, time today. Uh, while you're doing that, in January, one of the things that, that we talked about is what does, what does it look like for, for us as Westway Christian Church to be a body? And the way that we talked about those things were through loving, gathering, giving, serving, and going. And we talked a lot um, for two, well, for two weeks, we talked about giving and serving. Um, and in the, in, in the midst of, in the midst of that message, we, we had lots of conversations like how do we talk about where we are financially? How do we talk where we are about serving? So we want to be positive. We want to encourage people. And as I've shared a number of times, uh, some things that I've been doing in my spare time is reading, is reading um, a series of books um, called 20 Centuries of Great Preaching. And right now I'm in the mid-1800s. And I, I read this sermon that talked about, talked about giving and talked about serving. And at the end, the person who was giving this message basically just said, look, this is kind of, this is where we are. We're telling you, we're telling our body, I'm telling our body where we are. And we're just going to trust that God's going to work in you. And I, saw, I read that and I'm like, okay, so that's how we're going to talk about this. And one of the things that we've just been amazed to see, uh, actually not really because God's pretty faithful. Uh, Michaela said that verse earlier that God's word doesn't return void, um, when we let our body know where we are, our body just responds. So we've had, we've had a number of people who have given for the first time ever um, over the last month. We've had a number of people who haven't been serving, who have stepped up and said, I want to serve. And what I love about that is we've just told you what we need. And I would just encourage you, I would ask you um, that to, to continue to do that. Uh, we will never be in a place where we're not going to need people to serve. Uh, we'll never be in a place where you won't have opportunity to be generous. So we just want to invite you um, into that uh, space. So I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for each person who's here. We just want to be faithful to who you are. And we want you, as we sang a moment ago, we want you to have your way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This is First Peter 1.1. 1, 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So just some real basic things kind of right out of the gate that we have to really grasp about 1 Peter is 1 Peter is a letter. We are sort of, uh, we're sort of reading someone else's mail. That's usually how we talk about reading letters from uh, the New Testament here at Westway Christian Church. So we're, we're actually kind of getting one part of the story. So one of the things that we have to do as we, as we read through uh, a letter in particular is we can, only, we can only infer what is going on to the people that they're writing the letter to. Does that kind of make sense? Um, this letter is written to someone and the way we talk about this here at Westway, uh, much like the Bible, uh, it's not written to us, but it is written for us. And what we mean by that is this, this letter is actually written to someone, and we know who it is. It's written to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, 
and Bithynia. But here's, here's reality. There's something then for us in this as well, because this is God's word. It's timeless. It's timely. It's, it's applicable in, in every person's life and every culture who's ever lived. And kind of what our responsibility is as Christians is our job kind of to determine what this looks like for us in our own lives. Uh, it's written to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in exile. Other trans- translations use this word dispersion. And that's what's there in the Greek. If we were to look at the Greek, we would see that this word dispersion is being used. And literally it means exiles of dispersion. So it's, to, it's written to people who have, who have been cast out from where they were. And they are somewhere where they don't belong. But we have to ask this question, well, what, what is this exile? Like, what does this dispersion mean? This is written in the mid-60s, so the church is indeed facing persecution. But one of the things we should know about who Peter is writing this letter to, it's not, it's not yet state-sponsored persecution. That's going to come about five or seven years after this letter is written. The kind of persecution that, that Peter is writing to these people in these different areas about is kind of the persecution they're, they're feeling from, from their friends and from their neighbors. Uh, we'll read this a little bit later in First Peter. The kind of persecution they're feeling is the kind of person you feel like, or when you change your life and all of your old friends are trying to figure out why you aren't doing the same things you used to do with them. Right, So they're bringing this, this peer persecution, this peer accusation against them. And that word exile, as I'm reading through First Peter over the past few months, the, the thing that came to my mind as I'm thinking about exile is the Babylonian exile. That is a, I won't, I'll say high point, not because it was a high point, but it's a, a really important aspect of what was taking place in the Old Testament is the Babylonian exile. And this exile was, was an exile that God sent his people into because for generations they lived in rebellion and disobedience to God. So God's people went into the promised land. They had a series of kings. The vast majority of them were terrible. They had a series of priests. The vast majority of them uh, were terrible. And all along this path, God is telling his people through prophets and through faithful kings, those who were faithful and priests who were faithful, like you need to be obedient to God because if we're not obedient to God, something bad is going to happen to us. God is going to send us into exile. And as you just read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you'll just, you'll just see this story starting to, starting to present itself that the people are just, they, they have set themselves on a, on a collision course with exile. They have just chosen that they are going to be disobedient to God. So it's really not a surprise because, again, God's word doesn't return void. God does exactly what he told him to. He sends him into exile. And that first comes through the Assyrians. And then it comes through the Babylonians where God's people are taken into Babylon. And that was because of their disobedience. It was because of their rebellion. But the thing is, in Peter, like, we we don't really see that yet. We don't... The people that... Peter is writing this letter to aren't in that kind of exile. So Peter must be talking about 
something else. And here's what Peter is talking about. Here's that, second, that other thing, that, that something else. These are people who are living in exile metaphorically. And what that means is, is they're living in a world that's dominated by non-Christian thought. They're living in a world that's dominated by non-Christian people. Values. Their way of life is completely different. And this exile, this place where these Christians are, is going to demand something of them. See, these Christians are going to have to behave in a certain way in the mix of where they are. And this is where this starts kind of to make sense for us. The way that we... The way that we typically talk about this as Christians, maybe you've heard this phrase before, in the world but not of the world. This is what Peter is talking about to these people. How do we, how do we live in the midst of this exile? And God doesn't abandon his people. He never abandons his people. I want to read to you from, from Jeremiah 29 for a moment. Some of this will be very familiar to you. So this is, this is the Old Testament exile. The people have been carted off to Babylon. Jeremiah wrote, wrote a letter from Jerusalem to all the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, the court officials, and the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. So God's people have been carted off, and now God is telling Jeremiah to tell something to the people who are in exile. He sent the letter with Elish, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Probably not what they wanted to hear. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So imagine this for a moment. You've been carted off, you've been hauled off to another city, and what you want is some hope. What you want to hear is that God is going to bring you home. Instead, he tells them to stay there. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets, oh, I love this part. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Here's what's going on. There's this other group of people who are living in Babylon and they're like, God's going to save us. God's coming. He'll be here. We're going to be here for a couple months. God's going to deliver us. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised and I'll bring you home again. Here's everyone's favorite verse, coffee cup. 
For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's a weird verse for people who are in captivity, isn't it? Isn't it weird the way we use that verse completely out of context? In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home to your own land. Here's, here's the point of Jeremiah 29 verses 1 to 14 that God tells the people. You're going to be there for 70 years. Deal with it. You're going to be there for 70 years. Build houses. Plant gardens. Have kids. Marry them off so you have grandchildren. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for the city. But as we read in Daniel... When they, when they raise the golden idol up before you that is 90 feet tall, don't bow to it. See, there's something that's, that's taking place in this story. There's a way to be a people who are living in exile who don't give in to the system. We're going to talk more about this next week. But the phrase is submit but do not conform. See, what, what Jeremiah is telling the people is you're going to be there. You have to act as though you are going to be there. But don't take it too far. And as we read through 1 Peter over the next month, what we're going to see is 1 Peter sounds a lot like a fleshed out version of Jeremiah chapter 29. This letter is to a group of people who are metaphorically living in exile. And if you're wondering, like you're one of those people who reads the names of those cities and you're, you're trying to figure out, like you're trying to unlock the, the revelation code from, from those five cities, uh, they're just five cities on a mail route. Right? So if you were to look at a map, you'll, you can just follow it along, like how this letter would have gone through the people. It was read, meant to be read and passed along to others. And this is where that question enters into place. Like, how do, we, how do we act in the world but not of it? What does this mean for Christians? And the interesting thing about this is what Peter does next. He acknowledges that they are dispersed. But rather than dealing with their situation, he tells them who God is, and he reminds them of what God has done for them. And this is not new. It's the exact same move that Jeremiah did in chapter 29. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, that's the who. Who is God? He is the Lord of heaven's armies. Says to all the captives, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. That's what he did. In Jeremiah's time, God was the Lord of heaven's armies who exiled. Who is God? According to 1 Peter, verse 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Who is God? Who is God? He's the father of Jesus Christ and he is merciful. And he is so merciful that the reason that you are born again is not due to anything that you have done. Isn't that a mercy of God? That God looks at you and knows your reality and he saved you anyway. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that your salvation is not dependent on your works? Because none of us are getting in. See, what God has done is he has given us a mercy. He has given us a grace to save us because of who he is, not because of who we are. He knew his people and he chose them. And he's made them holy. Again, through the Holy Spirit, not through our own works. We don't become holy because of our own works. We don't earn it. Got that song in my head. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. See, we don't, we don't earn salvation. It's something that God has given us. And this holiness has a result. At least it should. And this is, this is where we, we want to start asking ourselves some questions The result of this holiness that God has given us out of his own free will, not because we've earned it, is our obedience, is our cleansing. And this is is a perpetual act. See, we are going to live our lives because of the holiness of God has been given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to live our entire lives in obedience. It's a decision that you had to make yesterday. So sorry, you're going to have to make it today. So sorry, you're going to have to make it tomorrow. And then every day for the rest of your life. We're going to have to choose obedience. This is what Peter says when he writes, May God give you more and more grace and peace. See, Peter starts with who God is. Because people in the midst of hardship and realities... What we often want to do is start with who? We're going to start with ourselves. We want to start with our circumstances. We want to start with our situation. We, we, want to, we want to look at us. And what Peter is encouraging these churches to do, these Christians to do, is like he's coming up underneath their chin and he's like, he's like raising their eyes up. Like, look to God. Let me tell you who he is. Live, let's start here, verse 3, the end of verse 3. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be received on the last day for all to see. So what's our response? For what God has done, how, how do we live our lives? We praise God, we live with expectation, and we demonstrate faith. 
That's, that's what we do. If, you, if you're a doer, doer, recovering doer, trying to be a recovering doer, like I want to take some steps. What are those things? Praise God, live with expectation, and demonstrate faith. And then what Peter's going to do throughout the, throughout the rest of 1 Peter 1 is he's going he's gonna to give us a series of so statements. Now, maybe the Bible you use doesn't have those so statements in it, but the NLT has the so statements in it. He's going to tell us, he's going to tell them what it looks like to be in the world but not of it. He's going to tell his hearers, like, look, you are in exile. You are in the midst of this of this generation of people who are anti-Christian, who are unchristian, they don't want to hear anything you have to say, and deal with it. You're there. Don't listen to people who are who are going to come along and 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 say it's only going to be for a short time. This is six through nine. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong in many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. One of the things I didn't even talk, I'm not even going to talk about it except for these two sentences. That word revealed is used a number of times in 1 Peter chapter 1. And what it's talking about is the end of time when Jesus shows up, that's when he's going to be revealed. The culmination of all things. Two sentences, did it. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Here's, here's part one of living in exile among people who are not Christians. Part one is to be glad despite your trials. To be glad despite your trials. Whatever thing you are facing... What God is saying through Peter is be glad in the midst of your trials. Well, why? Because trials reveal the genuineness of your faith. It reveals who you really are. You ever notice that? How hard times reveal who you really are? A couple years ago, we, we, needed, to, we needed to reside our house. And if you haven't resided your house lately, it's not inexpensive. If you haven't resided your house lately, um, it takes a long time because of because of labor shortages and all of these other other things. And I'm kind of an anxious person when it comes to new things like that, because the 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 product that we went through, like we were a little unsure, is it going to hold up? We've only been here at this point for three or four years, but we've been here long enough to know that the wind blows 90 million miles an hour and never stops. 
right? And it's constantly blowing stuff into our house and into our siding. So like one of the thoughts and questions that I have is, you know, did we make the right choice? We're going to be paying this loan off for the next 55 years. Not really. But like, did we make the right choice? How can we know? And then like, after we had our house sided and it was done, we'd have a really big windy day. And you know what I would do? I would go out and I'd like inspect it. Like I know what I'm looking for. Right? But I'm, I'm inspecting it. I'm looking at it. I'm checking it out. I'm, I'm making sure that it's strong enough to withstand the trial. And as much as I was interested in it looking good, my primary concern was whether or not it was going to withstand the weather in western Nebraska. That was my primary concern. That's what I was interested the most in. And I just thought of Jesus' parable of the house that's built on sand and the house that's built on the rock. Those houses, like if just by appearances, my guess is you wouldn't be able to tell which was which until the storm came. And then it would be revealed. And see, this is, this is the reality of many of our lives. We don't, we don't know who we are until trials come. And usually our default switch when trials come is, I hate this. This is the worst thing that ever happens. Now we're human beings. But Peter is telling these church people something different telling them to rejoice. He's telling them to lean into their trials because they're meant for a purpose. And what would it be like for you to see your trials as an opportunity for you to grow? What would that be like for you? Peter says, live in love and trust, rejoice, and you will be saved. Let's look at verses 10 to 12. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but were for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. What Peter's doing is he's, he's using the prophets as an example. As his example. That they, these Christians, have something that those other prophets only dreamed about. That those earlier prophets only thought about. That those other prophets only could talk to other people about. What he's saying is you Christians, and now we can say this about us. You Christians, you have something that's available to you that people before did not have. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. 
All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So one of the things that I would, you will grow in your faith if you stop looking at the heroes of the Old Testament and thinking you could be like them. You will grow in your faith if you stop looking at different situations and circumstances in the Old Testament and wishing God would reveal himself like that to you. I'm thinking of things like the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. All of the ways that, that we have lied to ourselves, that we have deceived ourselves. Well, if God would reveal himself that way to me, I would follow him. A, they didn't. B, you won't, you won't. And C, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. It's what, it's what these Old Testament people can only dream of. They would love to have access to God in the way that you and I have access to God. They had to go to the temple and God was behind a curtain and they had to bring an animal and somebody else had to go in for them. And if anyone else went into that space, they died. And the Bible that we now have access to in Hebrews tells us that we can boldly enter the throne room and receive mercy and grace. That's, that's access. We have something available to us that Old Testament heroes never had. So what do we do? Pick up at verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. There's the so. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything we do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So, you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you've come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God when he raised, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will end quickly. Your new life, do you hear that little hint of Jeremiah there? You've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. You're in the midst of, a, of, of an exile that's not going away. 
Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So here's what, here's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 1. You, Christian, you have something that others only predicted. You have access to something that others only predicted. So act. Do something. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Be ready for action. Sometimes I, I think as Christians, when we face hardship and we face Face people coming against us, we, we, like, we act surprised. What Peter is telling the Christians here is to prepare your minds for action. That means actually be ready for things. Be ready. You have something that only others predicted. So, you must live as God's obedient children. See, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ for you, live as obedient children. Live differently. You have something that others only predicted. So you must live in reverent fear of him. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Live like this is true. You have something that others only predicted. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. See, this is how, this is how Christians are to live in exile. This is how Christians are to be in the world but not of the world. We demonstrate certain behaviors that indicate that what God has done for us are, is actually changing us. We're doing these things because we are different. Through God's plan of Jesus on the cross, you have come to trust God. Through God's plan of Jesus on the cross, you have placed faith in him. Through God's plan of Jesus on the cross, you were cleansed. So act Act, do something, love. What Peter is saying here in 1 Peter 1 is he's really painting a picture of of reality. And not not the reality that, that we think we're living in, but Peter is painting a picture of ultimate reality. See, what Peter's doing is he's placing himself with like in like the best in the best space of all of the prophets who came before him. Peter is telling these Christians, these believers, and I think he's telling us, like, there's a new way coming. There's something that is going to happen. This is what real life looks like. Being ready, loving, serving. This This is real life according to Peter. And the question that we have to ask is, well, if that's true, then like, who's, who's really in exile in this? What, where did this exile talk come from? 
See, they're not in exile because of their own sinfulness, but it is on purpose. Earlier this week, I read the ESV translation of 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. And there's this great little flip. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I wonder if you notice the difference. To those who are elect exiles. See, the people, the Christians in Peter's day, aren't there by accident. God has actually chosen for himself a people and placed them in exile. Not because of their sin, but because of the lives that they were supposed to display and demonstrate to one another and to those around them. An elect exile, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It didn't catch him off guard. God's not up there wondering why the world is all falling apart. He knew. Our trials sanctify us in the spirit. They help us to be obedient to Jesus. He bought us and earned us through his blood. What I want you to know is you have, you have an identity. You, you belong somewhere. You have a purpose. You've been set into this place for a reason. And if this sounds like, and it might, if this sounds like every other sermon series we've ever done, like we're just reading the Bible. We're just, we're just reading the Bible. If, if we don't want to hear, like if you don't want to hear what we're called to do as Christians, like you're going to hate coming to Westway on Sunday mornings. Like this is, this is what we're called to do. This is the life that we are called to live as Christians. You were made for this exile. You were set in this place. You were set in this place to be around the people who talk like the way they talk, who think the way they think, who act the way they act. Like you were set here on purpose. You were set here for a reason. You're in this exile to tell them of your hope. That's why you're here. To tell them of your hope. You are in this exile to live in accordance with that hope. And here's what that means. I hope one thing, I believe one thing, and now I'm going to live in that same exact way. Like this is why we're here. And it's these behaviors and this way of life that that are demonstrations of what this hope looks like for us. Anne and I love watching the original Star Trek series. Comes on at 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. It's our dream. There's this great episode called Mirror, Mirror. And what happens in this episode is Kirk and a few of the other crew members, I don't remember which one, are beaming back from this planet. And if you're a Star Trek, if you don't like Star Trek, sorry. Um, 
Kirk and a few select members of his team are beaming back to the Enterprise. And because it's Star Trek and because it's science fiction, there's this alternate reality where at the same time there's this, not the Federation, but this empire. And their people are also beaming back from the same planet to their Enterprise, right? Get it? Well, they're doing this at the exact same time and the streams get crossed. Remember from Ghostbusters, don't cross the streams? The streams get crossed. And Good Kirk and his crew end up on the Empire Enterprise, and Bad Kirk and his crew end up on the Federation Enterprise. And the good ones, like everybody's really wicked and evil on this, on this bad enterprise, then the bad people go to the good enterprise, and they're trying to rule like it's their own kingdom. Does that kind of make sense? And... They're trying to get, of course, it's an hour, so they get it all worked out. Right? Kirk goes back, and he's having this conversation with Spock. And Kirk starts telling him, like, well, when we were on the other, other enterprise, like, essentially, we tried, to, we tried to be less wicked. We, we tried to live in accordance with the values of Starfleet. We tried to live in accordance, despite this situation, in accordance with the values of the Planetary Federation. And Spock's like, well, do you think it made any difference? And man, Kirk said this really neat line. If change is inevitable, predictable, beneficial, doesn't logic demand that you be a part of it? See, what Peter is doing in 1 Peter is he's painting a picture of reality for us. And this is, this is the way it's going to be. Like, regardless of what we, whether we're Christians, not Christians, we, we think this whole Bible thing is not true. Uh, this is the way it's going to be. I love you. This is just the way it's going to be. But I don't want you to live this way because Captain Kirk thinks it's a good idea to just go along with inevitable change. We are to live this way as Christians because this is the good news that's been preached to us. This is the hope that we are to live out as followers of Christ. That's, that's why I want you to come along. Because this is reality. This is the good news of Jesus. His son Jesus died saved you, not because you were a great person, but because he is great. And now he's just inviting you to participate in his kingdom. There are a couple ways that we can respond this morning. One of those ways is through remembering what Jesus has done. Here at Westway, we, we celebrate that through communion, and Brad Hertzler is going to come up in a second and lead us through that. But another way that we have to respond is to pray together. There are lots of things that we could pray about. I think that some of the things that we want to pray about actually aren't beneficial for us. This is from another one of those sermons that's written 170 years ago now. Like God doesn't give you everything you want. You know why? Because he loves you. God doesn't give you everything you want because he loves you. So I would submit 
That as we think about the way we ought to pray in response of God's mercy, we probably ought to pray in ways that are in accordance with his will. Here we call that praying Bible prayers. Maybe you picked this one of these up. They're, they're available. I would encourage you to do that before you live. Maybe you're reading through this. In 2023, we encourage our church body to pray in three ways. We encourage you to pray consistently. We can all agree with that one. We encourage you to pray in unity. We can all agree with that one. That's why we're handing this one out. And then we put this phrase. We encourage you to pray in ways that we know God will answer. We do this when we pray scripture. That's a pretty bold statement. If I weren't a part of Westway, if I weren't a Christian, I would read that last thing and I would be like, we encourage you to pray in ways that we know God will answer. That's bold. Can we agree? Well, not when we pray scripture. Here's 1 Peter 1.13. So prepare your minds for action and the exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Can we agree that God wants us to do that? Can we all agree that God wants our minds to be prepared for action? Can we all agree that God wants us to exercise self-control? Can we all agree that it would be a great idea for us to put all of our hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. God, I pray that our minds would be prepared for action and that we would exercise self-control. God, I pray that we would put all of our hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's in your son's name. Amen.